Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And Byron, obviously the news of the day is reacting to the 2016 election. A most shocking result, certainly. But before we get to all that, let the listeners know what we do, how we do, and why we do it. What started in February as a show that we just try to bring you news and politics each week. We have progressed all the way to the end of this uh, election cycle. Like Frank said, with a stunning upset, we'll get to all that in a minute. We got plenty to cover as far as the election and that stunning defeat uh, for Donald Trump. But I wanted to talk to you, Frank, about, you know, I know we both have watched football. We're kind of like leaning to, leaning away from football. But a running back by the name of Arian Foster who used to play for the Houston Texans. A couple of years ago, he boldly stated how he does not believe in God. He's an atheist. I'm not sure if he went so far as to say that it's, you know, ridiculous to even believe in it. But he was definitely bold and and very uh, verbal in his non-belief of God. Since he made that announcement, Frank, and I want the listeners to listen to this. This was like, I think, two or three years ago. Since he's made that announcement, he had like a non-contact injury a few weeks after making that announcement. Ended his season. Another season-ending injury. Traded to the Miami Dolphins. Was doing good for about, I would say, one or two games, especially in the preseason. Another injury came. Now his career is officially over. Uh, my question for you is, you know, a lot of times when miracles or things that, that can't be explained happen, atheists will say, you know, it's a coincidence or there's some explanation for it. So they, they usually like they usually never back down from their beliefs. But being that something has happened to him personally where he ended his career, do you think Arian Foster is somewhere sitting around having second thoughts about his belief in God or is he being stubborn and continuing to say, hey, this just happens to everybody? Great question. You know, I actually did follow that story because um, when I when it definitely caught headlines. You know, as for myself, I am a Christian. And so when I read that, I'm like, OK, that's very interesting. I mean, he feels like science defines everything which obviously we're not going to get into that on the show or a political show but what i will say is you know he in the back of his mind i'm sure he's thinking hmm why does this happen now i'm sure in his mind he's invented a reason why you know he may he may have turned into a scientific reason maybe i've had so many carries and i cut a certain way and my knee was stressed in a certain way and it happened but the fact that it happened so suddenly and and just so quickly, really, he never really did anything again after he denounced God in that way. And I think that, you know, for those of us who do believe, we understand that, you know, my God is a jealous God and he doesn't like to be, uh, how would you say, talked down upon by anybody or by anything. So, I mean, hey, he, you know, he, his career is over. He can decide whatever he wants. It can be a coincidence. But I kind of know that it wasn't a coincidence that it happened. And it's, and it's an example, you know, sometimes things happen to people and they don't see it for themselves, but I see it for what it is. And so, you know, it makes me be like, wow, you know, um, there there is power, as they say, in the name of Jesus, so to speak. So, you know, good and bad power, depending on how you try to, you know, play it. So for him, he ended up on the short end of the stick and maybe he'll, you know, pick up a Bible one day and realize that the word is real. But until then, <laughs> and, and, and to be fair, you know, season ending injuries happen all the time. Career ending injuries happen all the time. But like you say, man, the, the timing and just him coming out saying those things, man, it has to at least make him pause, think and wonder about that. Um, let's get into some politics. 
are listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now your host. I want to thank everybody once again for joining us on this season finale of Politically Entertaining. We've been rocking with you guys since back in February. I believe this is our 27th or 28th episode. I didn't lost count, but we want to thank you guys for tuning in once again. Before we get started, I do want to thank audible.com right now you can visit politically entertaining.com slash audible get a free 30-day trial subscription that includes a free book folks so again politically entertaining.com slash audible get your uh, free 30-day trial along with your free book so uh, check them out the first thing i want to get into frank of course we had the presidential election big day in uh, american politics trump with the i mean what he did was nothing short than impressive, man. It was it was a stunning defeat. Every poll had him losing. Every strategist, every expert, every every poster had him losing. This guy took Pennsylvania. He took Michigan. He took Florida. He took Ohio. He took all the must-have states from Hillary. And after the election, we had protests in the streets. Uh, people are protesting his election. They don't agree with it. They don't like it. And I'm not sure exactly what they want. I did see a couple of interviews with some of the individual protesters and they pretty much acknowledge, look, we know this isn't going to change anything, but we just want to voice our opinion that we are not happy with the election of this candidate and we're going to voice our opinion. So it should make for an interesting inauguration if that energy is able to uh, keep going through the next couple of months into January. But I wanted to know, Frank, have you been following I hate to call it a story, but there are a lot of people that are calling for the Electoral College to be done away with because Hillary, just like Al Gore in 2000, she got more popular votes, but she lost the Electoral College. And people are saying that, look, the will of the people was for Hillary to be president. This Electoral College thing needs to be done away with. I tend to disagree with it. I'll tell you guys why. But I want to know your thoughts. Have you been following that? And how do you feel about the Electoral College and the election in itself? Oh, I mean, man, we don't have enough show to tell how I feel about the election. I'm, I'm going to just hit the Electoral College first. So I, 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 too, agree. I'm OK with it. Now, what I would like to see a small change is a proportion of the Electoral votes awarded, much as Maine and Nebraska do. I think they don't award. It's not a winner take all. They give a proportion of the electoral votes to who based on the popular vote in the state. I don't want to go to the straight popular vote because then obviously you can have issues where certain other larger states may have more influence. The electoral college gives a weighted balance. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I would like to see them proportionally weighted. I think in some uh, the Republican primaries they actually do proportionally award the uh, the, elect- the electoral vote. So I'd like to see a shift towards that. I like that the college is fine, but make it proportional based on the number of votes. Then it's then it's actually pretty pretty fair. It give it awards the popular vote fairly along the lines of electoral college. Because the problem now is if you win Florida by one vote, you get 29 votes. You know versus you know what if what if the electoral college had been proportionally awarded in 2000 I mean that could have changed the election as well so those are things that I would consider as for the election itself I mean I've gone through a range of emotions of you know being utterly disgusted sick you know I didn't sleep you know at all that night I was just like oh my god I just you know and and, and the thing about it was it was just a, a sinking feeling um 
because of the kind of rhetoric Trump had produced and the type of people that he had incited. And it felt sickening because it felt like they had won. Um, and so my spirit had been weakened because I was just like, oh, you know, the alt-right has been justified, so to speak. And, and, and that really had me down. I'm not going to lie. Uh, since then, I've been able to compose myself, been able to pray and, and understand, you know, that there is a plan, there's a reason behind everything. And, you know, I'm going to fire some shots real quickly at the DNC and Hillary Clinton and say that, you know, when you when you when you play a prevent defense is something you mentioned. When you play a prevent defense, what happens prevents you from winning. And, you know, all this time they talked about her firewall and, you know, she was winning all these points and all these different, you know, polls. And what it came down to is she neglected the, the states that Donald Trump went and, and scooped up. You know, it really came down to those three states in the Rust Belt, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. If she won those states, she would have won the election. I mean, it's that simple. But she neglected what she thought was her own firewall because she thought she had it. She thought there was no way she could lose. And she um, half-assed it, didn't go to Wisconsin since the primaries. And she didn't spend enough time in Michigan, obviously, and either in Pennsylvania. And and she just, you know, you can blame Comey. You can bring it up and say all that affected it. But when you do just enough to try to win, any one little thing will knock you off. And you have to do more than enough. And what I'll give Donald Trump credit for, which I never thought I'd say, is he went he went all out. You know, he knew he was an underdog. And he said, well, you know what? I need to get some votes in Wisconsin. I need to get some votes in Michigan. I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to, you know say whatever I can and it worked and he's the president because of that and, and you know people have to respect that process he didn't cheat I mean I, I felt more cheated in the 2000 election with the Bush Gore because I felt like it was very shady with the recount I think Donald Trump won this election fair and square I mean I, I don't have anything to say about him I, I don't I, I, I abhor the things he says and his methods and I, and I cannot get behind it but as far as the way he, he ran a better race and, that, and you have to just give credit. It's just like, you know, it's just like looking at a sporting team. And you say, well, you know, they were the favorite. Well, the team that won, you got to give them credit and you got to give him credit. I love your suggestion on the Electoral College. And I don't even have to go back over it because we agree as far as if you go by just the popular vote, you're going to have essentially, for the most part, four states deciding every election between Texas, New York, California, and maybe another state like Illinois. So I do like the Electoral College, and I like you adding that they maybe should uh, do it in proportions. So I definitely like that. He won Pennsylvania. Let me tell you how significant that is. Hillary had her uh, convention in Philadelphia. She she went back with Obama and uh, I think Joe Biden was there, too, and campaigned like the night before the election. She did everything she could to win Pennsylvania. He still took it from her. She took Michigan for granted, as you mentioned. And like you say, she just played a prevent defense. Uh, I don't want to dwell on it because I'm going to talk about her some more and why I blame her and the DNC for this loss. But hey, man, look, you can hate what Trump said. You can even hate Trump. But what he did was impressive, man. It's one of the most impressive. I think it is arguably just as if not more impressive than the 08 election of Obama. Uh, probably not. At, probably. I mean, I think Obama's election was more surprising because we never thought we'd see a black president. But what Trump did, having the, his party against him, all the experts against him and to win in this fashion, the states that he won, it's, it, it was remarkable and impressive. One last thing, Frank. This this country is splitted 
nearly evenly down the middle. They each got about 47 percent of the vote with Jill Stein and uh, Gary Johnson getting the rest. This country is, is, you know, just split down the middle. And it's going to be interesting to see how people react to his presidency. Democrats need to focus on trying to get the Senate back in two years. That, that should be their number one focus. But wow, man, what an election. Suge Knight. Suge Knight is suing Dr. Dre for $300 million. He's alleging that Dre tried to have him killed because Dre still owes him money. So in order to get out of paying that, he's alleging that Dre hired someone to kill him and is suing he feels like he's entitled to a third of what Dre sold beats to Apple for, which is reportedly like a billion dollars. So he feels like he's deserved 300 million. I said I was going to talk about Hillary. Uh, I have to admit, Frank, you know, I was so convinced that she was going to win. Originally, this topic was going to be what's next for Trump. Obviously, the presidency is what's next for him. So what is next for Hillary? Because for the more than 30 years, she's been in politics in some form or fashion, whether it's first lady of Arkansas, first lady of the country, a U.S. senator, uh, secretary of the state. So she has been in politics for the more than the last three decades. After this stunning defeat, I, I certainly bl- that I blame her for losing. I, I blame Hillary for losing this election. What does Frank think is next for Hillary Rodham Clinton? Uh, I, I don't know. I think she's going to have to take a long look at herself in the mirror and realize that she threw away a chance to be the president. She never had another chance again. Um, maybe some more paid speaking to her. She seems to like to do that. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, maybe she'll just be. I think Chelsea has a child, right? Maybe she'll just be a grandmother. Um, and and that kind of thing. I mean, I don't really know where she goes. Her her, her career in politics is done. Um, could she be? A political, you know, could she be a, a part of the D- I think she just needs to get out of politics. I don't think the Clintons need to be a part of the DNC anymore. I think that they have run their course and the DNC and the, and the Democrats need fresh, fresh new blood. So I don't think she has any career, you know, in, in behind the scenes in politics or she shouldn't, in my opinion. But um, I just think she's going to kind of take some time off, maybe do some traveling, maybe do some speaking. She's still very going to be very popular amongst you know certain groups of women. She's still you know she, I will say this: her concession speech was probably the most connected I've felt to her, which is a problem from a standpoint of wow. At your concession speech, you kind of you know you know I just I just think that she was a t- uh, she was in a tough place as a candidate, and she didn't maximize the things that would have made her great. Um, and, and, and you know she got into too much of a prevent defense and things you know that that just it just spiraled out of control for her. But um, you know she doesn't really have a bright future in politics. She's just kind of gonna fade off in the background. I mean that's my thoughts. She's 69 years old and like I, I don't. I mean the earliest she could run for another office, which you would assume would be the presidency, she would be 73 and. You know, she I I just don't I'm I'm with you, man. I don't see anything in her future. I guess she could surprise us. I don't see her running for the Senate again. So I think she's probably done. She may be, you know, a a cheerleader for certain candidates that are running for the House or the Senate or whoever runs for the president four years from now. But as far as her, I think she's done. 
So we'll see what we get out of Hillary in the next several years. Uh, there's a coach in Rhode Island who his his football team was losing at halftime, and he decided to suit up an 18 year old. The problem with that is the kids that were playing were only 13 and 14 years old. A parent from the stands happened to notice that the kid was bigger than everybody else. I shouldn't even call him a kid. He's a man. This young man was bigger than everybody else, had tattoos and facial hair. And after a couple of plays, they noticed him. The coach has been fired. Uh, Fortunately, no kids were harmed, but that's a pretty crazy story. I encourage you all to Google that one. Uh, This political season is pretty much over, as me and Frank have told you. And it's time to look ahead to 2017. President Obama is officially a lame duck president, uh, especially since we have a Republican nominee coming into office. So he's not going to be able to get anything done. Um, But next year, the things that I think we have to look forward to, you had a Supreme Court nominee uh, that that is that seat is still vacant, so Trump will get to pick that. And folks, we have a Republican Senate now, so you know he pretty much can pick whoever he wants, and I'm sure they will get confirmed. He said that he wants to focus his first three agendas are healthcare, jobs, and immigration. We have an all GOP led government when you look at the House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate, and the presidency. It's all Republican for the first time since 1928, I believe. A year after that or, or that year was when we had the Great uh, Depression. So hopefully that won't happen again. But what I wanted to ask you, Frank, was liberals. There's been a lot of talk of fear and what's going to happen out of this presidency and this all Republican led government. Should liberals, should left leaning uh, politicians, should Democrats, should they be very fearful of what's to come? Or do you think little we little would get done in this uh, first couple of years of the Trump presidency? Well, it just depends on if you're an optimist or a pessimist. I mean, an optimist would say, well, you know, it'll, it'll, it, things will go on as they always do and it won't be, you know, too much of anything. But here's, here's what, you know, when you mentioned the thing that I see as a problem is the, the, the hate speech that's come out. And one of the things that the president elect needs to do is to denounce these hate groups. You know, the KKK is planning a march uh, pretty soon in North Carolina. That's obviously disturbing. You're seeing uh, social media photos of people vandalizing property with Trump's using Trump's name. So he is a symbol for the hate of you know the alt right. That is going to be an issue if he doesn't quell that down. Um, You know, I think there are some definite worries when it comes to the Supreme Court nomination. I think that Obamacare is the least of people's worries. I think that um, part of it may be repealed, but I think it's going to be very difficult to just roll the whole thing back because you have to consider the providers are already integrated, you know, into their system. So what are they going to replace it with? So those are things that I'm not as concerned about. What I'm concerned about is fundamental laws. Like what about Brown Brown versus the Board of Education? I mean, there are, you know, if you were um, appoint some draconian judge and, you know, who knows what they might try to do. Or maybe you'll get somebody like um, a Chris Christie or Rudy Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani in the cabinet who says Black Lives Matter is a hate group and tries to label them as a hate group. Those are things that I am concerned about uh, from a standpoint of, you know, the direction socially of the country because of the campaign that was run. Um, everything else, the economy, the stock market, you know, those are things that go and ebb and flow. Um, obviously, getting into a trade war with China would be a horrible idea. 
um, you know, and, and if you, you do other trade agreements that are that are also, you know, it's just difficult to know what to expect because Trump has no experience. He has no track record. So, you know, he might be more moderate or he might just be, you know, a, a straight up dictator. We don't really know uh, what to expect. But I would say to be cautious. My, my initial thought is definitely be cautious, definitely be praying just in general, because. You know, if the economy collapses, it's going to affect everybody. I think that, you know, if you want to go back and listen to this, uh, an episode with Sam uh, Bogan that came on from entertainingmoney.com, um, you can catch that episode on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, or, or Podbean. You know, economic collapse could be on the horizon just from the standpoint of, okay, you could argue and say it's Trump, or you could argue and say that just the factors that are in play. International markets took a beating when Trump became the president, so there is a lot of uncertainty. So, We'll see how things go. I just think that right now um, it's time to just, you know, be praying and just be vigilant about things because things are different right now. We usually have a guest on here. We don't have one today, but when we do have guests, they quite often make a reference to some great books that they've read or even written. And until recently, I hadn't been able to catch up on any of my reading. But thanks to Audible.com, I can check out. All of those books that I don't have time to read just by listening to them. You can listen to them as you commute back and forth to work or wherever you drive to. If you visit politicallyentertaining.com, as I told you at the top of the show, politicallyentertaining.com slash audible, you can get a free 30-day trial. This includes an audio, a free audio book. Check out great titles like The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. When, you, when you're on there or you, when you're on the go or you have some downtime at work, Please visit politicallyentertaining.com slash audible. Get that free 30-day trial. Get your free audio book. Catch up on your reading that you don't have time to do. Uh, Frank, I wanted to real quick tell you about Donna Brazil, who filled in for uh, the DNC chair that had to step down like right before the Democratic Convention back in July. She had to step down. Uh, when some emails were leaked and it pretty much showed her showing favoritism towards Hillary. So Donna Brazil stepped in and now we find out that she was feeding Hillary debate questions. This is why I blame the party and Hillary, but I just wanted to get your quick feedback on that because she has not. She says she doesn't regret giving Hillary the, the, the debate questions. Uh, she really felt like Hillary was the better candidate over Bernie Sanders. And she was even yelled at by one of the staffers at their end of the election meeting, where I guess she was trying to be the permanent DNC chair. And he pretty much said, you know, why in the world should we trust you after what you just did to this party? They helped. They wanted to face Donald Trump. I'm not sure if you're aware of that or if any of the listeners are. They wanted to face Donald Trump. They felt like he would be the easiest person to beat. And that's not, you know, that's not a far-fetched thought because many people thought that. But they got what they asked for. They lost. And if I'm not sure if you wanted to chime in on that. But the party of the so-called people did not trust the people. And they felt like they had to cheat a little bit to make sure that Hillary got elected over the very, very popular Bernie Sanders. Did you have any thoughts on Miss Donna Brazil? Yeah, she needs to go. I mean, she's a, she's exactly the problem that we're that we're that the, that the Democratic Party is having is cronyism. I mean, both parties actually have that issue. It's just that Donald Trump came and blew it way out of the water um, from a standpoint of he just he just kept eviscerating the candidates one by one. 
Now, the the Democratic convention was much more tame from a standpoint of the the people that Hillary was going up against, you know, Martin O'Malley, Jim Webb, those guys, you know, would never, you know, poll well, you know. And Bernie Sanders was kind of a throw-in, and then he kind of made some noise. And I think that that should have let the DNC know that, hey, you know what? Hillary might not have the juice, but they were loyal to her and the Clintons, and they, you know, did everything they could to kind of give her the little edge. But at the end of the day, I don't, I'm don't, i not going to go back and be money a quarterback and say, oh, well, Bernie Sanders, you know, had run. He would have won. What I will say is Bernie Sanders had energy and people were coming to his rise. People believed in him. Hillary Clinton, as many people said, she had to, everything with her had to be such a big production. Yeah, she had to have Beyonce, Jay-Z, LeBron, Katy Perry, you know, everybody that you can think of. She needed to kind of, she's always, she just couldn't hold the room by herself. And I think that going forward, the Democratic Party needs to look at, because they're more of a, to me, the Democratic Party matters more of who the person they put out there because the base gets energized by that person. People were so energized by Barack Obama, especially in 2008. They were going out they were going out of their way to vote for him no matter what he was saying. They just liked him. And they have to consider that if that's the, the way their party is built to find candidates that draw well and really get people excited. I think that Republicans showed in this election that they will vote down party lines no matter what. Like, they can say they're doing something different, but they're going to vote down party lines. Democrats, they need to be energized. If they're depressed or they're not excited, they don't turn out as well. So I think that's something that they have to consider, and Brazil has got to go. Um, to me, she's not trustworthy, and she's part of the problem that the Democratic Party had during this election cycle. I find it so interesting that Hillary went out similar to how Richard Nixon went out. He Richard Nixon was such a paranoid person and, you know, he had those people break into the Democratic headquarters and he wound up having to resign over that. Uh, Hillary, she was viewed as someone that was very secretive, someone that you couldn't trust. And what was her number one scandal that she couldn't get rid of? Her emails. It was it was a problem created by her. It wasn't Benghazi. It wasn't any of that. It was these stupid emails that I thought. Nobody really cared about, but it did feed into the narrative that, hey, she's not trustworthy. She's secretive. And she never really figured out a great comeback, a, a great defense for it. She, she never figured out how to make the story go away. So, uh, you know, again, blame her. I blame the DNC, Donna Brazil. That's it's, it's just shameful. Um, we have repeatedly said that this is the season finale. Um, we definitely are very grateful for you guys, you know, being with us from the very start, from episode one when we didn't even have a guest, um, to now when we've had, I think, over 25 guests or right at 25 guests. Uh, I wanted to tell the listeners, Frank, what they can expect from us for season two. Uh, for me personally, I'm going to try to do a better job of breaking down things. Every once in a while, we have a subject like, I think, uh, gerrymandering is something that I got a lot of comments about as well as um, it was one more thing that I couldn't really quite break down like I wanted to. So I'm going to try my best to really do a better job of breaking down some of these uh, political terms and 
and what goes on in the House and Senate and the presidency much better. And something that uh, me and Frank have talked about this, something we want to we want the show to focus on next year is more activism. This show was heavily politicized because of the presidential election. Next year is an off year. There's no national elections. You're going to have, you know, a few governor elections uh, here and there. Uh, so we're going to really focus on activism and how you can get involved. A lot of you guys were falling into the my vote doesn't count. What's the point of voting trap? OK, we disagree with that. But if you feel that way, what are you doing instead? Because if you're just sitting around saying my vote doesn't count, there's no point in voting and you're not doing nothing in your community. Then what exactly are you doing? You personally, you need to. Be quiet and shut up if you're not going to do either one. So we want to focus on activism. Frank and I are going to definitely do our part and also give you suggestions on how you can be active in your community. So those are like the top two things that I want to focus on for next season. What can the listeners expect from Frank Turner on season two of Politically Entertaining? Man, that's a lot of lofty expectations that you put out there. Uh, again, I think that just... Again, going back to the activism, um, just understanding that voting is one part of the being an informed electorate. And, you know, I'm going to try to do some more reading and have some more resources to say, hey, you know, check this out. Re you know, I'm reading this so that you can understand, like, and get a, a better view of things. Because I think that, you know, every four years we kind of have this process or every two years and we kind of let it go away. We have to continue our education so that by the time we arrive at the next election, we are fully aware of, of who is running, what is running, what the issues are. Also, you know, just understanding as certainly um, a lot of African-American listeners to the show, we have to find a way to make our voices heard. I think that, you know, we talked about, you've heard things, different things throughout the election about African-American voter turnout down, is it up, is it down? There's people, you know, that have come on the show, uh, QB, who we have, I have a lot of respect for, who've said, hey, you know, our vote doesn't even matter in the presidential election. And to some degree, I, I definitely agree with that. But we have to find a way to make that change. We have to find a way to make our voices heard. Um, and, you know, as people like Lauren Burke have come on, you know, we have to make our issues heard. So we're still learning how to do that. Uh, but we want to, you know, be a part of that process so that we are now part of the electorate that matters, not just counted for the Democrats um, in, in the in the win column. We need to um, be able to be able to get something for our vote because, you know, that's really what means something. Before we go, I wanted to. uh you know, this has been a long season for us. This is the first time I've done anything like this. And it's it's been amazing, man. It's been really fun. And as I reflect on this entire season, man, the number one thing that stands out to me are the interviews. Our first two uh, episodes, we didn't have an interview. And then on the third episode, we got Erica Perkins to come on. And from from that point on, we've had like over 20 to 25 different guests from Claiborne Carson to you mentioned QB, who I, I spoke to QB after the election, man. He uh, left me a detailed message. I wind up talking to him. He, he is a, a big fan of the show, man. QB TV is coming soon, folks. So uh, we will definitely let you guys know about that. Terry Matthews, Erica Perkins and Aunt B. Uh, uh, Senator Tim Scott, who was probably one of our biggest guests we've ever had. And of course, Orazio Macarella, who had one of the more informative interviews that I, in my opinion, as far as uh, people really taking notes and, and doing some of the things that he suggested in that interview. I look at the progression we had, Frank, from the first episode and the sound quality we had to, I think we have much better sound quality now. Um, 
and and our rants, man, our rants stand out to me. I had I had the rant on Donald Trump. You've had a couple of rants. The one that stands out to me, and it is it was a serious rant, was on the uh, the killing of Michael Moore. We've talked about that several times on this show. Uh, most recently, the whole outcome of Officer Hearst and him found not guilty. But your first rant on that man is very memorable. Uh, it's something I always uh, play back in my head whenever I'm thinking about the show. Uh, so just the progression of the show and the interviews we've had that I think have become like the lifeline of the show. I think people really look forward to that. So uh, just want to get your thoughts on anything that you reflect on from this entire season. So one, I, want, I actually want to go back to the original question when you said, what can they expect for season two? More great interviews. We already are lining up a lot of great people uh, that, you know, guys that you're going to really be all, you know excited to be connected to. Um, so that that's one of the things we're going to do um, as far as the season looking back in the retrospect for me. I'm just excited to have the opportunity. I don't believe any coincidence happened. Um, you know, I you know, the the logo that we have for our show is based on a photo I took with Byron um, at a New Year's Eve party. So it's kind of crazy that that was the, the the backdrop was the Capitol building and we ended up doing a show on politically entertaining. We didn't even talk about that that day. So the fact that we came to this, con- you know, point where we have the show um just just being informed just learning from different people on the show different perspectives i've grown because you know i came in with one perspective that i thought i knew a lot of stuff but i realized there was so much more i had to learn so i'm grateful for the guests grateful for the feedback from 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 um the listeners you know we wouldn't be able to do the show without you um certainly in the off season check out our check out our youtube page for our, all our interviews we're gonna have more we're gonna have all of our interviews up um, you know, during the off season, so you can definitely check them out. We have a good bit of them up now. Dwight Ladd, um, Lashandra Holmes Young, um, QB, Claiborne Carson, Terry Matthews. Definitely some thought provoking, fun interviews that that to get you um, through the day if you don't want to listen to the whole show. So I mean, again, we just are grateful for you know just the listeners. We love you guys. Uh, we're we're excited. Definitely check us out iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Podbean. Um, Google Play and you know in, in your spare time catch up on all 28 all 28 episodes and uh, we're gonna come back strong uh, next year with a brand new uh, season brand new energy uh, we'll see you guys next season on politically entertaining thank you for listening to politically entertaining be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.